Episode 5. <laughs> really getting into it now. We are getting into modern history, 1940s, all the way up into present day. We're going to get into decolonization and nationalism, specifically in one country to start, <laughs> India. Important to note here, nationalism is a great enduring issue or thematic essay that we see a lot in history. People want to be ruled by someone like them. In the case of India, where we will start, right, these are Indian yep. people who don't want to be ruled by tea-drinking, crumpet-eating, Jesus-loving, English-speaking white guys. They want to be ruled by someone like them. You know, I was really feeling, like, sluggish off the bat here, but Miss <laughs> Sullivan just brought the pain. I think it's just important to note that you want to be ruled by someone who speaks your language, who looks like you, who has a common history. We see that theme over and over again in history. White people. <laughs> Let's talk about the three bullet points here. As India is growing as a colony of Great Britain, they want to start achieving their own independence. Here are three events or three things that happened under the leadership of Mohandas K. Gandhi. Mm -hmm. First, boycotting, refusing to buy a product. Most famously in the homespun movement. Ooh. Yeah, Gandhi will ask all Indians, Muslim or Hindu, to disregard any industrialized clothing made in a factory from Great Britain. He says you don't need to worry about that. And if you, like me, wear only one piece of homespun, wear it with pride. Wear it with dignity. Which is why you always see pictures of Gandhi wearing the exact same thing. Do you ever see that picture of like his worldly possessions after he died? It's like flip-flops, glasses, and like a copy of uh, like the Hindu Bible. Which is interesting because he was so rich, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Civil disobedience and passive resistance. As soon as you see that, you should think of Gandhi. That's right. Mm -hmm. Although they... You could also connect it to Nelson Mandela, which mm -hmm. we'll be getting into. But mm -hmm. the idea that you could break the law peacefully. And then finally, the salt march. What was it, like 200 miles? Something absurd. Longer than 200 miles. It was thousands, wasn't it? No. It's a couple hundred miles. Mm. And if you're really interested and you're listening on your phone, you could Google it. Mm -hmm. Tell us who the winner would be. But it seems ridiculous that India, a peninsula on the subcontinent <laughs> of Asia, surrounded by salt water, had to pay the British for salt. So Gandhi said, hell no, and walks himself down there with him following that grew larger and larger. He walks right down, goes right into the ocean, picks up his own salt and puts it in a bag. Everybody gets arrested. It's a great big deal. But at the end of the day, Gandhi will look like the more powerful and level-headed leader. I think it's important to note a, a term Mr. Monaco used in an earlier podcast, which was mercantilism or mercantilism. Yeah, yeah. That was when the mother country personally benefits off of its colony. And these civil disobedience movements, including the homespun movement and the salt march, were anti-mercantilism. They were, they were, they were, they, the laws that were unfair were these mercantilist laws. They were saying just totally hosed the native people of India. It is really the one time, too, for outside information, you're allowed to bring up uh, United States history. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King usually is a good mm -hmm. piece of outside information. So underneath it asks, what role did the Indian National Congress and the Muslim League play in the process of decolonization? The nationalist groups. That's here. it. Building nationalism and unity. Unfortunately, after Indian independence is gained, they are going to split or... Partition. They're going to partition. 
and Hindus are going to claim a territory for their own, Muslims are going to claim a territory for their own, and distrust and tension with each other is going to grow, and they're going to split into India and Pakistan. Pakistan for Muslims, India for Hindus. And basically, it's going to remain so tense there that today, I think people believe that that is going to be the site of the next use of a nuclear weapon mm-hmm. or World War III. What Although, we've seen along that border is nuclear proliferation. That's exactly right. Although, who is aligned with either of those two countries now? Is anybody? Well, the United States is a friend to both, kind That's of. That's what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Like who's picking, everybody's just hoping nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, underneath, though, it asks, why did Gandhi view this as a failure? Well, his goal as an Indian nationalist was to maintain the country's unity. He was not able to do that. The tension between both religious groups was so strong that conflict could not be avoided. It would actually lead to the assassination of Gandhi. Gandhi was killed by an extremist Hindu who was salty that Gandhi liked both Hindus and Muslims alike, and he thought that was lame of Gandhi, so he shot him. Right in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Why, God? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And then um, this, this ethnic and uh, religious conflict in India has continued all the way up until today. That's a good uh, enduring issue, like, too, in thematic. Mm-hmm. Including Indira Gandhi and Rajiv Gandhi of no relation to Mahatma Gandhi. Maybe it's like Smith. Two people assassinated. Like it Gup- is. Like it's Gupta. Like, it's a Gupta or the goddess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't Indira win the uh, Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, Oh, did she? I'm pretty confident. Really? I'd put money on that one if I was put on the spot. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. All right. Hey, what about African nations achieving their independence like Ghana, Algeria, and Kenya? Ooh. Let's start with Ghana and my main man, Kwame. Kwame Nkrumah. Yeah, he unites Ghana against the British, but the idea is using nationalism to unite a group of people. Mm-hmm. This is probably the most positive form of nationalism, uniting people to break rule under others. Algeria fought a revolution against the French, and then Kenya had a famous nationalist leader, Jomo Kenyatta, although Jomo. I should know, I can't remember his real name, changed it to Kenyatta. Mm-hmm. I, I came up a little upset at myself, but he unites Kenyans against the British, and then he had a kind of a turbulent uh, history. Yeah, he was quite violent versus Kwame Nkrumah in Ghana, who used civil disobedience, just yeah. like Gandhi. yeah. And the, I guess, least nationalistic of the nationalism movements, Zionism, created by a journalist named Theodore Herzl. Mm-hmm. From yeah, the French. This... France. Is he? Mm-hmm. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wants to create a homeland for the Jews in Israel because after World War II, I guess to put it mildly, people felt sorry for Jewish people. And if you've ever seen the other places they considered putting Jewish people you would think, what the hell is that garbage? They could have had land in Alaska, mm. maybe at the tip of South America. Mm. Also, they offered parts of Antarctica. Oh my <laughs> they God. eventually settled on Israel, <laughs> um, which, of course, is now the site for major conflict with Palestine. And it's the place Zionists wanted the entire time. Correct. Um, so they do get that. But what led to the development of Arab nationalism here was that Arabs were removed from their homeland when Israel was created. They were told that they were not going to be forced out of their homes, but unfortunately, there was a displacement and migration of those people. Now, the creation of the state of Israel leads to an Arab-Israeli conflict because, one, Israel gets divided or partitioned into Israel and Palestine. Two, Jewish people and Arabs refused to share, and of course, violence, conflict, and war break out. 
Well, but again, this type of conflict shows how ethnic tensions can lead to violence. Both believe this land belongs to them. They both want, again, sovereignty or independence. The Jews want a nation state for Jewish people. The Palestinians want a nation state for Palestinians. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this next part. Mm. Who's ready to talk about the donger? Oh, I love the donger. Mao Zedong. <laughs> Mao Zedong. And even better... Oh, this is, this is dang entertaining. <laughs> All right, let's start with nationalists. People wanted to rid China of foreigners, okay, during the Chinese Civil War. They couldn't do it. The government was too weak. Communists, being led by Mao Zedong, are going to be promised land, or excuse me, peasants, under the rule of communists, were promised land, much like Lenin and his PLB sandwich of peace, land, and bread. Eventually, World War I, World War II are going to weaken China's economy. Underneath, we see the emergence of two leaders, Mao Zedong first, and then after he dies, Deng Xiaoping. And those are going to be the two big communist leaders that take China to the next level and really create them as a world power. All right, let's start by filling in the chart with the political parties. Both Mao and Deng are going to be totalitarian mm, another good word another good word they're mm -hmm. both going to be totalitarian meaning they have total control of the government here's where we get into the major vocabulary that you have to know though their economic and social policies mm -hmm. the donger mao has the economic policies known as the great leap forward where he's going to push china into a more modern society um a greater society Unfortunately, though, he's going to ask all of the Chinese people to work on farms, known as? Communes. Yeah, like communism. I think the important part, too, is that he's going to try to push China into a modern society. He's going to try. He fails miserably. Terribly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he took about five years and then just didn't do it. Yeah, about 60 million people died. Yeah, it was a tough five-year plan. It's like five holocausts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild. Mm -hmm. But again, that's like a cul-de-sac in China. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Like, what do they have? Two billion people there now? Uh, a billion. One? No way. It's more than that. It's like 1.2. No kidding. Yeah. All right. The economic policies for Dang are going to be the four modernizations. And since he's the more modern ruler, he is going to add capitalism into the economy of China. A.K.A. free market or a market economy. Yeah, yeah. For social policies... Mao Zedong is going to notice that people will stop following him after around the 50 millionth death out of the 60. And he's going to create a cultural revolution. You may remember the Little Red Book. And in that Little Red Book, he's going to tell people exactly how they, they should think and feel about being Chinese. You had to carry the Little Red Book in your pocket at all times. And if you Memorize were found it. without the Little Red Book, you could actually be publicly um, tortured. Really? Mm-hmm. A flogging, perhaps? They were called struggle sessions. Your arms would actually be tied behind your back and held there for up to, like, 48 hours. While your head was pushed down, you were forced to wear, like, dunce caps yeah. and wear signs on your around your neck that said, like, I'm a capitalist pig and things yeah. like that. But yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, all right. You could well, do it to your teachers. You could do it to your parents. 
Well, speaking of human rights violations, how about the Tiananmen Square Massacre under Deng Xiaoping? Mm -hmm. Deng still did not allow for any political freedom. However, with the introduction of capitalist ideas, we see college students learning more and more of what the world is like in China. And when they notice the freedoms given to democratic countries, they are going to demand rights in a protest known as the Tiananmen Square protest. Deng is going to send in the entire army pretty much. And we see the famous picture of Tank Man mm-hmm. standing in front of them trying to stop them. What do you think happened to that guy? I think he was probably found and horribly tortured by the government. I don't think he stood a chance. No. You ever see those videos where like, we don't know what happened? Yeah. We know exactly what happened. Yeah, they found him for sure. Now, what we see as an enduring issue or a theme, if you will, across history is this idea that there's always going to be a tension between traditional cultures and modernization. <laughs> And that is the next section. And one of the biggest causes of tension between tradition and modernization is urbanization. So underneath where it says define urbanization, it's people moving to the cities. You could add it's for jobs, for family reasons, economic reasons. But people need to move to cities for whatever reasons. And when you move to a city, because there's such a higher population, you're guaranteed to come into contact with other cultures. And when you gain something from other cultures, it usually means leaving something of your old traditional culture behind. I like that, Mr. Monaco. That's nice. Thanks. Okay, a great example, just to put this really in perspective, is the Gay Pride Parade, which goes down to Elms, Elmwood every June. Goes down Elmwood in Buffalo, not down Main Street in Springville. And that is not because gay people don't live in Springville. It's because the closer you get to a city, the more people are accepting of non-traditional ideas, such as gay marriage. Are you saying people in Springville are not accepting of other ideas? I am saying that the further you get from a city, the more traditional people become. And they're not as open to non-traditional ideas. Yeah, Georgia's pretty far from a city. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Underneath it asks you to also define industrialization. It's the creation of factories for the production of goods. The reason we bring that up is because if you are moving to a city looking for a job, odds are you are finding factory work. Now, when we have to look at the extent to which urbanization and industrialization impact or have an effect on society, well, one, for family, decline in the importance of family. That's actually a very real thing. I know for myself, I am one of four children. And out of those four, I am the only one living in the suburbs with a family. Mm. Everyone else is city living and swiping right for the rest of their life. (laughs) Lucky ducks. We also see a decline in religious traditions. Most famously, the caste system in India. Or anything that really takes away from what are thought of as natural rights. Thank you, John Locke. Yes, John. Thank you. All right. What are we on here now? Education. Well, it does improve the amount of educational opportunities that are given. And government. We see an increase in the participation of government. The larger groups are around each other. Can we say they're more liberal or more left? Political views become, or would that be too general? I would say yes, more yes, more liberal, more progressive. Ah. Uh. And, and I, I would go back to education, too, because we know throughout history, again, was mentioned in another podcast, the more educated you are, the more li- likely you are to question, which oftentimes meaning question tradition. Yeah, so underneath in R with a circle, what urbanization, industrialization, and living in cities leads to is this. It is a decline in traditional values. Mm-hmm. 
And speaking of the struggle between modernization and tradition, let's talk about Kamal Ataturk and the Ayatollah Khomeini. Ooh, Kamal is on every exam. Yeah, he sure is. Now, these two have different things. We have a little chart underneath. There's a picture of the Ayatollah Khomeini with his Khomeini X behind him. (laughs) Let's start. (laughs) Let's start. With uh, the idea of modernization with Turkey under the rule of Kamal Ataturk. This man was a huge fan of modernization. Western clothing, learning the English alphabet. Could you imagine having a ruler that came in and said, guys, we're going to learn a whole new language and it's going to be great. Mm. He also created the... He also created a term known as secular laws. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, we haven't hit on secularism yet. I actually made a bet with my students that the word secular would be on their exam, and I would give them 50 bucks if it's not. That's how confident I am the word secular will be on their exam. Like each or total? Each, because that's how confident I am that it's going to be on there, because I don't have $50 to give each of them. Cool. I'm not a gambling man. I usually just bet extra credit and give it to him anyway, which is why my averages are so high. But uh, Kamal Ataturk wanted secular laws. What that really means is that he didn't uh, incorporate religion into the laws. He just tried to make them using enlightenment ideas. Separation of church and state. Or in the current case of Turkey, separation of mosque and state. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Nice. I will say, guys, I went to Turkey. 99.9% people there are Muslim. And when there was the call to prayer, no one stopped to pray because they are just a very non-religious, a very secular country. And other countries that are more traditional, like Saudi Arabia, you could actually be arrested for not praying publicly when the call to prayer happens. Get your fingers chopped off for wearing nail polish. Mm. Don't need that. Anyway, so underneath maintaining traditional culture, Turkey does not do that. Turkey modernizes. So Kamal Ataturk will be responsible for the modernization and westernization of Turkey. In Iran, however, there is a totally different story. If you remember from the movie Argo, (laughs) we have a struggle between Shah Reza Pahlavi and the Ayatollah. Okay, and we have the names in the boxes already. If you want to put a split down the middle of that box for modernization, you want to split it between the two people, Shah Pahlavi and the Ayatollah. Mm-hmm. Ayatollah. Uh, the Shah is going to be into Western and secular culture, basically meaning he did not want to incorporate religion into the government. Just like Kamal Ataturk, these two dudes actually get compared a lot. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they had different results, though. Right. They were different types of rulers. They were similar, though, in that they were Middle Eastern countries, mm. and they basically governed at the same time, and they were threatened by Westerners coming in and taking over their country. And just like Japan modernized to keep Westerners out, the Turks and the Iranians also modernized to keep Westerners out. And they also had a conflict against traditional people in their countries who were angry that they were changing all of their traditions. Wow. Whew. Big deep breath there. For the Ayatollah, on his side of the chart, you can say that he was traditional and religious. And basically what's going to happen, the Shah is going to be overthrown at the exact same time as his death. And the Ayatollah is going to swoop in and turn Iran into an extremely traditional government. 
I think the term might be an Islamic fundamentalist. That is exactly it. And we're going to Anti-West, anti-secular. That's right. Anti-West, anti-secular. We're going to see a decline in rights, specifically women's rights. Mm -hmm. All right. It will seem like Iran steps back in time during this time period. We should also note that a major, major conflict here is this new oil money that's been flowing into the Middle East because of a economic group called OPEC. Is that in any of the review sheets? Uh, I don't actually know if this one is. I have a nice little acronym for that. Mm. Are you ready for OPEC? Mm-hmm. O is for oil. Mm-hmm. P is for prices, oil prices. Mm-hmm. The E is in the middle of OPEC because it's Middle Eastern countries. Mm. And then the C is countries. Oh, well, because of this new money flowing into Iran, Iran starts becoming even more modern and even more secular. Think Donald, or not, um, Tiger Woods, when he makes a lot of money, what does he do? He cheats on his wife with over 100 women because oftentimes money corrupts you. That was happening in Iran. So the Ayatollah is in it. We're going backwards in time, getting rid of this. Sorry if you heard that, Tiger. Money. I don't like Tiger. All right. So what I think we do here is we finish this one up, and Agreed. I think we have one more left. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Globalization, Ooh. human rights violations, and changing environment. Ooh. All right, guys, we'll see you on the last episode.